4: Welcome to Wood Talk for Woodworkers
1: by Woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities Mark, Matt, and Shannon.
3: All right, it's Wood Talk number 284 for November 23rd, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about dealing with a scratch while finishing, getting a distressed look, and concerns with thin wooden components. All that more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Brusso Hardware. Brusso Hardware provides high-quality, American-made woodworking hardware for your next project. As a special discount for new customers, Wood Talk listeners can use coupon code WT2015 for 10% off orders at bruso.com, and we mentioned it last week but we'll mention it again you got to go to their Facebook page and see the latest video that they commissioned by Caleb Woodward you could see a knife hinge installation on one of Caleb's signature Maelstrom cabinets I did watch the video and it is fantastic definitely want to check that out and we have to thank a few folks who helped us out with supporting donations Daniel F. Mark Matazewski Julian Seaborn Michael Matza Anthony DeSantis thank you so much folks for helping us out and if you want to help out too you can go to woodtalkshow.com look over in that side column and there's a few donation links there for one time or recurring donation and every little bit helps we really appreciate your support Uh, while you're at the website check out the giveaway page and sign up for the giveaway whatever happens to be in there this month you can uh, have a chance to win it which is pretty darn cool and I think we can get right on to what's on the bench I'll go first I'm applying finish it's fun that's all (laughs)
4: Oh, you're applying a finish to a top. I thought maybe you were applying for a finish and I was going to ask you, finish what? A job? A career?
3: Finishing my last job. That's what I'm applying for. Uh, Yeah, I'm using Wipe on Poly and uh, the Minwax brand. And it's funny, like I've over the years kind of convinced myself that Armor Seal is a better looking finish. And sometimes you just wonder if your brain's playing tricks on you. Do you really see what you think you see? And in the last, probably the last couple of years, I've started to let the Minwax wipe on polys end up in my shop a little bit more, primarily because it's convenient, right? I mean, if I need a finish, I could run out to Home Depot and just buy a can and be done with it. Um, Armor Seal, I've got to order online or, or go all the way out to a Rockler or Woodcraft store to pick it up. So I've been using the Minwax stuff. And, you know, when applied properly with care, like any type of finish, it looks good. You know, so this is my dining room table, gaming table. I'm gonna to have to look at this thing for a very long time, and I'm putting Minwax wipe-on poly, and I'm not thinking twice about it. It just it looks great. Nice. You know, do you know? Think- I have
4: to say,
0: you would be able to tell the difference, like in a blind taste test. Don't taste it, <laughs> people. Don't just taste just to it. Say something that similar <laughs> was
3: the reason why I would use Armor Seal in the past. Was because I thought I saw a difference. To me, the Armor Seal, when dry, looked a little bit more lacquer-like than what you would get from you know standard Minwax poly. But I'm I'm doubting myself.
0: Uh, uh, like, what about like I mean, mostly an application. I mean, because I agree with you. I think. Well, I mean. I can't tell what difference from one finish to another one it's dry most of the time. <laughs> yeah. So it looks good. You know, applied well, I think any finish will look great. But that's the thing. Armor Seal, to me, is just so easy to apply. So, you know, with it fresh in your mind, could you tell the difference? Like, if I snuck in your shop and replaced that cup of of just, you know, ready-to-apply finish with something else— with Armor Seal or Minwax, would you be able to tell the difference?
3: We've secretly secretly replaced Mark's coffee with um, <laughs> Armor Seal. With Armor so let's Seal, let's watch him gag. Mm, that's delicious. I don't know, and I'm not. I would. I want to confidently say yes because I'm a big believer in General Finishes products, and I do also believe they're uh, not all varnishes and all polyurethanes are created equal. Right. But in the case of the Armor Seal, I don't know for sure. I you you're making me want to do just a side by side <laughs> test. Uh, and then the, like intentionally mix up the boards and see if I could pick them, pick them out well, from one. This another. whole
0: time I've been stalling. Cause Matt's been like running in your shop and replacing it.
3: There you go. I had Matt no idea. Bad-handed. You said you were going to tell him. Damn it. <laughs> I can tell you application wise, it's exactly the same. I don't, I don't see any differences. Like I, I made my entire video that I made the DVD simple varnish finish used uh general finishes products. The way I, show to apply it is exactly the same when I'm using any other brand of wipe on poly. So no, the application wise, there's really no difference that I can see. So we'll have to, you know, this will be a dining room table project. Maybe longevity is an issue. You know, uh, if, even if they do look exactly the same, longevity could be something where a higher quality, more expensive poly maybe works a little bit better in the long run. Um, and don't forget, like years ago, not that this is the end all be all, but there was a fine woodworking side by side wipe on poly test. Where they basically, it's funny when it comes to finishes because so many things you judge a finish by are not exactly scientific. It's just, what's it look like? You it's know, how, how easy is it to apply? What's it cost? Uh, but they did do some scientific tests looking at the, you know, how much of an amber color is in there, how much, trans, like, I guess, how much clarity is in the finish. Like, so they did some scientific y type things. And Minwax Wipe On Poly was number one in the list, you know, just based on these sort of, I, I guess you're hoping these are. You know, objective test that they ran. So that was interesting. But at this, you know, soon after that, the price of Minwax Poly went up by like five or $6 a can. So, so much for it being like the cheap, cheap option.
4: So it's, well, you well, know, it's funny because $10 for, cheaper than General Finishes.
3: I don't even know. You know, still. you guys talk. I want to look it up and see what they are on Amazon.
4: Well, it's funny because for the longest time there, that was one of the things that when it would come up was, you know, what finish you're using. Uh, As soon as you started mentioning that with the general finishes, I went ahead and I tried it. I liked it. But I had that same thing. I'm like, man, I got to drive like 45 minutes to get to Woodcraft to pick up some. I really need some right now. So I also kind of turned to Minwax. And it'd be funny because then people would go, well, what are you using? And I'd always have like the empty can of uh, general finish. and be like this using it all the (laughs) time and sometimes i would even like dump the minwax into it maybe add a little something in there to uh, help thin it out and then just keep using that one over and over so technically if people ever looked in my finishing cabinet they would see the armor seal and it's got to be a date on there and it looks like i've been using the same can for like what 10 years now (laughs) so well well
0: i admit to have Having fallen prey to the finish prejudice, you know, yeah. it was, I heard that David Marks, that's what he was using. And then this guy, Mark Spagnolo starts talking about
3: armor seal. And that's being the only reason product. I used it. And, I saw David yeah, use it. So. so I
0: started using it and it was, it's great. It's a fantastic finish. And then, you know, you finish, finishing is like you get comfortable with it and, you know, why change it. So yeah. I just kept mm-hmm. buying it. But then my local woodcraft close. So I don't have a local option. So I have to order it online if yeah. I'm going to get general finishes stuff. So then I just I would buy it like, well, I'm going to go ahead and buy a gallon of it, you know, drop the the cool mint to buy a gallon of this stuff. And, you know, I would be pushing the expiration date a lot of times because <laughs> I just wasn't using it that much. Right. So, I, you know, I need to overcome my my
3: elitist finish Uh, Well, here's the thing. This is (laughs) where it gets interesting, guys. I'm looking, and this is what I thought happened, but I didn't want to say it without knowing for sure. Uh, Just looking on Amazon, Armor Seal, Urethane, one quart, can, 2298. Mm -hmm. Minwax Wipe on Poly, quart can, 2370. What? I don't know um. how this matches to local Home Depot prices because I don't recall even what I just paid for the smaller cans. <laughs> uh, but that's my thing. Like they, they, someone goes, oh, you know, this is a fine furniture finish. Like a lot of these goofballs that read fine woodworking are now interested in this finish. Let's hack, you know, let's get that price up there. I don't, I, I don't know what the logic <laughs> is, but um, clearly they're positioning it as a different finish. Because I remember in the past it was like 10 or 12 bucks you would pay for it. So you're looking, okay, well, this is half the price of, of this other stuff. I should definitely give this a shot. Now it's not the same value proposition, which is crazy,
0: but you right. can't put a price on being able to run like home Depot is, is literally three minutes from my house. Yeah. I mean, every, <laughs> almost everybody has that. and they're open until 10 o'clock at night. You know, yeah. which
3: so is, if you're in a pinch, you can go get the stuff.
4: Yeah, You know, but one thing, Shannon, that you said that I think is really true, and I, know, I I believe all of us at some point have to, and we've even talked about it, kind of overcome that whole thing about this is what I've been using for so long and I really like it. So when, in all seriousness, when I did jump on the, the Armour Seal bandwagon, and I really do like Armour Seal, but the fact that I have to drive so far to get it, but coming back to Minwax, it's like, you're you're the evil that I know so well, and I can control you, and I can get results <laughs> with you, yeah. that it's one of those things where, I don't know, it's kind of embarrassing to say this, but I was a little like embarrassed to say that I was using Minwax, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, why wouldn't I use it? Because, again, easy to get a hold of, easy to use, and I got some darn good results with it. In fact, the uh, kitchen table that we have has taken a massive beating from the kids over the last... 10 years, 13 years, whatever it was uh, when I built it all those years ago mm-hmm. uh, and it still has the same original finish on it. Slightly scratched, mm-hmm. but still the same exact original finish from before. So I think that says quite a bit about um, some of the finishes that we start out with True. versus nice. the ones that we like think that we have to go to.
3: Right. right. Now let's talk about water that's locks. <laughs> water locks is a whole different story. Uh, that's <laughs> right. even That's even more expensive. You're looking at nearly 50 bucks Uh, for a quart of that stuff and it is a little bit different though right the the material it's made with is actually different so there might be more argument to be made with a with a product like that but i don't know man love my general finishes but anymore it's i mean now it's the same price as this other stuff now what's my cheaper option if they're both 23 22 bucks where's my cheap option oh a wax (laughs) nothing at all I'll just rub, right, exactly rub yeah my bare elbows. naked.
4: It's a whole new movement. The uh, grungy hipsters are gonna love it.
3: Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, that was enough of a sidetrack of a topic. Shannon, what's going on in your shop?
0: i uh, still working on just about ready to apply paint to the um, kids table and chairs project for your uh, charity build. Thing oh, that nice or-
3: that nice easy one
4: right nice little short project right knock it out in a weekend unless you're shannon in which case (laughs) knock it out over an entire semester of weekends right
0: well you know that's one thing i gotta say is it is an easy project but i mean just matt i know you can relate to this lately if i get 15 minutes in the shop on a weekend i'm lucky so i'm actually doing pretty well i was thinking about that going man holy crap, the deadline's coming up soon. i got to get this thing finished. And I just started kind of tallying up in my head. I really don't have that much time into this thing now. That's good. Um, I would say probably uh, maybe two and a half like weekends worth of work. Um, pff, yeah, uh, whatever that comes down to. Maybe 20 hours that I put into it, which is – I know a lot. What'd you do it, Mark? You did it in what six
3: hours? Well, I cheated a little bit on that one. <laughs> it wasn't a full six hours. I <laughs> yeah, had some stuff true. pre-made,
0: but, um, but you know it's it's a lot of um, it's a lot of repetition. Frankly, I mean, you've got four chair sides that you know once you do one, it's just kind of crank the music and and knock out the next one. But yeah. um, I was working on those chair parts and uh, was, had my spoke shave out, and I was. Basically, I'll take it right down to my line. I use the turning saw to get pretty dang close to my line and then bring it right to my line, and then I round it over later. I need to get it right on the line first before I can lay out the, the roundovers. And, you know, I look over at my tool cabinet. I was like, you know, I've got this vintage compass plane that I bought like a year and a half ago with the, every intention of like, oh, you know, I'll restore that. And maybe I'll put it to use one day, and then it never got anything done with it. Mm-hmm. Like, now's the time. And frankly, I was kind of tired of... of Cause I was on my third chair part at that point. I'm like, I need a break. <laughs> so I, I pulled it out and kind of gave it a once over really didn't take much. Mostly it was just kind of regrinding the iron and honing the iron and cleaning some things up a little bit. And now I'm kicking myself because it made that last chair and a half part go by in, in seconds. Oh, nice. Cause <laughs> there's that long back curve and then there's the front curve. Those are the same radius. So once I got the, the if you don't know what a compass plane is, it's an adjustable sole where you crank it down, you can change the radius of the sole itself, either convex or concave. Very cool little um, tool. And um, once I got that set, I mean, literally, I got the depth right. and It was just schnick, 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 and it was done. You know, I was like right at my line in this perfectly fared curve. Um, <laughs> so then I, I went back and I actually went back over a couple of the table legs just so that I could play with it, even though they're technically already where they needed to be. I was like, man, I can't believe I waited to do this. <laughs> so, um, I had kind of a cage match between my spokeshave and my compass plane. Spoke shave is still so much more versatile, so much more useful because you know, like the, all those really tight inside corners on that chair part and the cutouts in the center of the chair. Uh, I had to do those with the spoke shave. You couldn't be, get a, you know, a plane in there. But, um, Man, it's a cool tool to have around. Now, the other thing is I'm working in plywood, so there really isn't a grain direction. On a, on a, like a deeper curve on solid wood, the grain direction is going to change on you halfway through. So a compass plane, you still have to go, kind of stop and turn around and go the other way, down into the valley or up to the apex of that curve. So it's not quite as fast uh, as you might think. But on plywood, where you're kind of against the grain all the time, that was awesome. Um, nice. so yeah, you know, the, the 30 minutes I took out to restore that compass plane was, was really cool. So, um, I think there's a modern manufacturer of one out there. I, I don't know, but the really to get these things, you got to go to the vintage market, but I don't think they're terribly hard to find.
3: Yeah. So. Everything like Lee Nielsen will crank one of those out at some point, you know,
0: probably, but I always think, cause you hear this a lot, but, well, why doesn't Lee Nielsen make this or make that? Yeah. Um, you have to look at what, this is an entirely different deal. Like the frog is not your typical frog. It's, it's basically um, like imagine attaching like a spokeshave sole, like a really thin, narrow sole to the bottom of a frog. Um, and it's this self-contained little piece that then fits on this flexible piece of steel that is adjustable. So for somebody like Lee Nielsen, they don't just make four of a plane. You know, right. they have to be ready to make 30,000 of them. Yeah, absolutely. So that would be an entirely separate set of tooling. He'd um, have to train a workforce to do it. Um, so maybe, but, you know, for, for Thomas Lee Nielsen and company, it's not just kind of, you don't just do stuff on a whim. Same thing with Robin Lee up at Lee Valley. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, let's just crank this out. No, it's like a million dollar investment, new building, new workforce. So maybe eventually. Yeah. Um, you know, it it's just a yeah. really cool tool to have around.
4: They have an R&D department, not a whim department is what it really comes yeah, down right. to. You know, yeah. but one question I have is seriously, I've always kind of looked at a compass plane. I thought they were really neat. And in the heyday of my have to have every single hand plane, that was one that was high on my list. How thin is that sole itself? I mean, like you said, you have to be able to bend it one way or the other. So my question is, how thin is it? And then. Obviously, you can't put a lot of pressure down on that because it seems like you would re- be able to kind of flex that sole while you're while you're using it. So, is it more of a delicate light touch? <laughs>
0: um, it's very thin, um, less than a sixteenth of an inch, um, because I mean it has to flex readily. Um, it, it flexes because there's a center uh, threaded post and. Right. Um, There's a knob on top of the plane in the center, and as you crank that knob, it essentially kind of sucks in the sole or pushes the sole out, because the post is attached right in the center of the sole. So it needs to be quite flexible. However, because the frog is is not attached at just like a single point, it's actually attached over the length of of that tiny little sole that's attached to the bottom of the frog, and then you've got two attachment points on the, the toe and the heel of the plane, The plane itself is like a smoothing plane as far as length. Mm -hmm. So it's not super, super long. So there's really not that much sole in between the attachment points for it to flex. Um, It's not spongy at all. If you're like pushing down on it, you don't feel it flexing. But at right. the same time, you really shouldn't be pushing down really, really hard on one of these planes anyway.
4: Um, oh, so in other words, the- I shouldn't be leaning on it like I do with all my other stuff. Like, oh, <laughs> no. God, I'm
0: so tired from planing this. <laughs> no, that means go sharpen the blade.
4: Um, okay. but well, are, there, are there different lengths for it? I mean, obviously, you're going to have certain diameters that you're going to have to, to kind of go over. Or is one plane kind of you know, able to handle all that? It seems like you could have like a really, really long one.
0: Um, I've never seen anything other than this, this one kind of smoothing plane length, but I mean, the, the variety of the, the radii that you can get on this, I mean, it's, it's pretty intense. So, um, right. I, I can't imagine that you would need a really longer plane. In fact, the longer the sole is, the more you're going to have to futz around with like getting into the little nooks and crannies. So I think I'd rather want it to be
4: shorter anyway. Hmm. Well, I bet if I went through Garrett Hack's uh, hand plane book, I might get some better tips. <laughs> you, you never know. <laughs> Read the whole thing from cover
0: to cover. Yeah,
3: do a book report. <laughs> let us know how it was.
0: I think they're Sweet. also called circular planes. So for all of you you people going back. out and searching for them, circular planes or compass
4: planes. Cool. Sweet.
3: Very nice. What about well, you, Matt?
4: Hey, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up real quick because uh, I pretty much did nothing this uh, past week unfortunately I actually got stuck in an airport uh, a day longer than I wanted to so that was a lot of fun but the cool thing is I brought a couple of uh, woodworking videos with me to watch on my iPad and I can tell you right now if you ever have a rather attractive girl sitting next to you in the airplane there is no faster way to make sure she will not talk to you at all than put on a woodworking video and have her look over your shoulder and go oh you're like my grandpa
3: I don't know man what if she's like oh like that uh portlandia episode where they're like oh he he makes (laughs) things
4: right yeah no 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 this was definitely like one of those uh excuse me can i get uh two drinks and i would like his two drinks also because i can't watch this for the rest (laughs) of this flight so that that worked out perfect for me but i watched a little steam bending and that's something who knows coming up in the near future because it's so cold and i might need a little extra something heating up the basement workshop maybe a little steam bending is in my uh dude my avenue coming up.
3: Guess what I just bought today? So
4: funny that you mentioned Uh-oh. it.
3: The uh, rock, the little Rockler fifty dollar um, steamer unit to make your oh, own you? steam bending oh, chamber. Yeah.
0: I got one of those. Uh, does that work nice. really good for you? Yeah, I mean it's it's a glorified wallpaper, steamer, right?
3: Exactly. So. Yeah. The, yeah. The reason to buy the Rockler,
0: too. the reason to buy the Rockler one is it's got like that little spigot attachment, so you right. build your own box, and it's got the hardware to. Actually, it comes with plans. I think it came with plans to build. Yeah, box. yeah, that's but, the reason yeah.
3: I did because it, it shows that box. I'm like, well, I'm going to have to build a chamber for this thing. And the Erlex one is like the same price and doesn't come with anything like that. So I figured it might be it yeah, might hold my hand a little better.
0: That little brass coupler is is kind of yeah. key. I mean, you can you can we're woodworkers, right? You can make something, um, but. Yeah. I don't and, think wallpaper and, 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 steamers are that much cheaper than the Rockler
4: ones, so it doesn't really matter. In, in between projects, are you also going to learn how to steam meat with it also? So you can put it in the steam box and That's, see what you can do with steamed it.
3: Steamed meat sounds delicious. That just doesn't sound it? it sounds, it's full like of flavor.
4: Meat. full of would flavor have and, boiled and steamed meat? They oh, both involve water.
3: That just sounds delicious. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. We should uh, We should steam a little together this winter. Oh, oh, let's do it! Let's do it. Team arm in arm. <laughs> oh, that would be so nice. All right, let's go into what's new. Uh, this one here is a little self-serving, but there's another podcast. I'm on a I'm on a streak of talking about other people's podcasts. A uh, podcast called Makercast with John Berard. And John was kind enough to invite me on the show and I just uh, did it. And I guess on Thursday that was, like well, well, this is being released. We're recording off schedule. So I'm all confused in, in what you are going to understand as the time frame. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's out now. So just go to podcastformakers.com and you'll see uh, some names you probably recognize on there. I think he talked to Diami Uh, plot key at one point and uh, mine was the most recent one. So check it out. Great interviewer. I really like the questions that he asked and I've done, you know, quite a few interviews with other woodworkers and I think he got into some stuff that I've never really talked about before, which was pretty cool. So uh, talk about uh, business. We talked about, you know, early education and influences and things like that. So had a really good conversation and the rest of the shows are really good too. So check it out. uh, MakerCast and you can get that on iTunes as well. That's Sweet. Awesome. Well, hey, we have I, a, how did I not know about that? I don't know. I Shannon. didn't I didn't actually tweet it out or anything yet. So no, I just I didn't know anything about the podcast in general. <laughs> I didn't either until I got his uh, uh, hooked up with him on like on Twitter. And then he contacted me and asked me to be on. So, yeah, it's a good show. Awesome. Enjoy it.
4: Well, what you don't know is sometimes there are little secrets that we're not all supposed to know. And that was one of them. mark. <laughs> you're in trouble. You let Shannon into the group. Dope. My bad. <laughs> Dope. Oh, man. Well, hey, let's move on to another link that we have here, and this came in from Brian. He says, "Have you seen this? Looks like a cool option to a, to a traditional MFT. So, this is the multifunction slab over at multifunction. Function. Why do I want to put an L in there? Function. Function. Yeah. Multifunction slab. That's, I like multifunction it. slab." And, uh, and of course, this is actually a link to something that you can purchase. Uh, but looks pretty neat. They're referring to it as the ultimate low-profile workbench for job sites and shops. And if you want to check it out, there's all sorts of neat features. It looks like you can even purchase it there. They're claiming it was designed by carpenters for carpenters.
3: How do they get away with engraving Festool on the on like the plate?
4: I don't know. That's a good maybe question. Maybe they haven't yet.
3: <laughs> yeah, maybe they have
4: not gotten away with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was the prototype. And then Festool said, <clears throat> you might want to change it. Well, no, you, it's upside down, Mark. It actually is. L- s- f-
3: no, I see that that German word that we're all so familiar with.
4: <laughs> right.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's pretty cool stuff. Um, I just have a, a note to Brian who sent this in. Anytime you send me an email that starts with, have you seen this? It generally gets deleted.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah, because the reality is in most cases you probably have. I, mean, I am afraid. No, I'm just afraid to click on it. Oh, just in, in case starts with, like, Have you seen this? there's generally something that's malicious. Check out this picture of you. Right. Something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, all right. Next one we have here, something I, I shared on Facebook earlier. I can't recall who, sh- who sent it to me, but I've being a drummer, really enjoyed this video. Um, a tour of the DW Drum Factory and it's just the guy going around and taking you through the process, and it's a fairly long video going through the entire process, step by step, how they make these drum shells using some uh, red oak uh, veneer slices, and whew, talk about machinery to get the job done. It's, there's some really impressive stuff, and they've got very high standards. Um, there's a part of the process where multiple times, they're taking these drums and putting them on a granite slab to see if there's any light peeking through. Uh, to make sure that it's absolutely, you know, what would be the word for that? That it's it's just perfect around uh-huh. the perimeter on both sides of the drum. And, wow, uh, I didn't
4: um, know that drummers had to have that kind of precision. Yes, that apparently
3: was- to make all that noise, it, you know, you need perfection. But DW makes some really sweet drums. I remember, you know, in my early days that was like, one day when I'm rich, I will buy myself <laughs> a DW drum set. And now now that I could probably justify like putting some money aside and and buying myself one. I don't think I'm good enough of a drummer to deserve one. Oh. You know what I mean? Like I, I wouldn't even, I don't, I don't deserve it. So I'll uh, still You sound play. like some of the people that will
4: email us and ask about like high end tools and stuff or using <laughs> high end wood. It's like, I'm not good enough to use this. And our response is usually just jump in, just do it. You'll just love it. it. It's going to have a great experience. So Mark, just, just jump advice. in, enjoy it. You'll love it. Have a great experience.
3: No, I got to buy diapers. Yeah. I can't think afford about it. the
0: children. I can't mean. afford
3: it. <laughs> Your drumming days are over, but Mateo's got a whole future ahead of him. Yeah, he can learn on my crappy Tama rock star that's like been in the back of my truck uh, you know, weekend after weekend. He can enjoy that. One. <laughs> right. All right, yeah. So anyway, go check it out. It's really cool. Funny thing is the guy's walking the floor talking to all his employees, and someone even commented on the thing saying, like, oh, it's so cool that he actually knows the names of all his employees. And I'm just thinking, I don't know, like some, some skit where the guy's just throwing out these names, and then you see the people afterwards going, who is he talking to? Like, that's not my name. <laughs> Like, exactly. But he's acting like he knows everybody. It's pretty cool.
4: yeah that, or what you didn't see was the person just ahead of him handing out twenties, going, "Just nod, just say <laughs> just yes, nod, Here, just agree." This is for you. This is for you.
3: Yep, exactly. <laughs>
4: Sweet. Well, hey, I have another one here that came in off of Facebook. In fact, I just shared it uh, earlier today. I I grabbed it from, I want to say it was from the folks over at Laguna Tools. Mm -hmm. This is from earlier this year. It was bathtubs made from wood veneer, and it is lots of cool, to be quite honest with you. These are the type of bathtubs that normally I don't like to take a long, soaking bath, but I could do it just so that I could enjoy the the amazing wood that's in there. That doesn't sound right, does it? That sounds pretty bad that's awful but anyways though so these these bathtubs just look so cool actually my biggest fear is that uh i would get a sliver somehow that would be exactly what would happen to me i don't care how many layers of finish are on there Mm -hmm. uh i probably would get something but these are really really cool if you take a look at them so awesome in fact uh, it's this is the type of thing i jokingly said is not on my bucket list because let's get serious it's a tub list
3: and i've been wondering like you always see these they're beautiful but you wonder how well they hold up and it says that uh, it's an extremely resistant special varnish that's been tested under the hardest conditions and that it guarantees a very long service life for the wooden bathtub. Uh, Scratches, scratches can be polished away. Hmm.
4: Oh, very nice. Interesting. But the problem is maybe you you scratch it so much and you polish it away that you end up taking it down to the point where it Maybe it goes right through yeah, the finish. It's actually plywood, so you just go through that face veneer after you polish it enough.
3: <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're beautiful. That's for sure. I wonder how much they cost. They have to be astronomically expensive. More than,
4: I, than than drums. Most likely. Yeah, yes, maybe it's I, a full set of DW drums. I'd like
3: to see a tour of that factory, though. That would be pretty cool. I want to see the process. All right, thank like you, John. I really would. Uh, that would be cool. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not kidding about it. Uh, all right, let's move into our kickback, and uh, th- this is where we uh, read back your emails, or if you leave comments on the website, we might read them on the show. And uh, this one here is from Nate. He says, "You read my email on the show about applying a finish over the lacquer on a store bought teak table. The lacquer has deteriorated badly. I already did the work before I heard you reply. Dang." I applied armor seal, urethane, hey, speak of armor seal, uh, top coat from General Finishes. Mark mentioned that product or going a step further to Balin's Rock Hard Tabletop Varnish. I had no issues brushing on and leveling three coats of armor seal. The table turned out great, but the finish could be tougher. Kids' silverware attacks or handwriting will mar the finish. Uh, If I did it over again, I'd try the Balin's Rock Hard Tabletop Finish. P.S. You guys are nerds.
4: Absolutely. I am actually not a nerd. My my wife tells me all the time I'm just an old man with really bad jokes. She tells me that constantly. So I'm like, all right, I'll own that. i got, got gray hair.
3: You're just full of dad jokes, that's all.
4: Yeah. Cool. I wish they were dad jokes. She says, like, they're beyond grandpa jokes.
3: <laughs> not even worthy of the uh, title of dad joke. All right, so we've it's got like a couple really of – really bad uh, uncle. Yes. A couple of voicemails here. Uh, first one is from – I guess his name is Friesen Woodcraft, I think. Something like that.
5: Hi. Sorry you're not available, but I am – Oh, Lyle Friesen here from Friesenwood Craft in uh, Western Canada. Um, I don't have much experience of working with maple, but I got a bunch of reclaimed maple here that I'm trying to make a few projects out of. And it seems like whenever I um, so try to put some color into it, I, I learned how to dye it. And it looks good. I use general finishing to dye Uh The grain just kind of disappears since the color it because I'm not sanding it properly. Or, you know, when you look at a piece of raw maple, you've got that nice, Wave grain in there, and put a clear finish on. You can see it. If you put a dye stain on, and the grain just kind of disappears. It looks blotchy. Is it just uh, um, skipping grits? I guess I kind of lazy with, and I just go from one twenty to one eighty, or to two twenty or two forty. And I'm just I'm having trouble getting that color to look nice on the on the maple after it's stained. um yeah, it just kind of looks, doesn't really look like it, it has any green. But it's green. So just so you could uh, toggle that a little bit. Thanks. Appreciate the
3: podcast again. Bye-bye. All right. That was tough to hear. Hopefully. You I appreciate that. how chill he is. He's very chill. Yeah. Very relaxed kind of guy. Um, all right. And I also like the fact that he, I'm assuming his name is, it sounded like he said Friesen, right? Like almost like Friesen with an yeah. apostrophe at the end yeah and i'm
4: doing that right now this room is cold and
3: and he's in western canada so you know he's got to be pretty cold i like it freezing woodcraft and that's his name too that's perfect yeah (laughs) it's like my my last night as if my last name was like hot as balls
4: (laughs) well maybe the whole town the whole town has businesses that pick up on that like there's freezing bar there's the dance club it's a whole
3: theme i still want to open up hot as balls woodcraft <laughs> All right. So he's got a problem. His- <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, he's got a problem with maple. And I probably talked about this on the show before, but this is a classic situation with maple. You have this uh, tendency to blotch. You put the stain on it, you put the dye on it, and you get these light and dark zones alternating throughout the wood. And it's just the nature of maple and other woods too, but uh, maple's a big offender. So there's a, a few things you can do for this to help prevent that. You can sand to a higher grit. He mentioned a sanding schedule. Try not to skip if you, you know, but you don't have to go like from 100 to 120 to 150 <laughs> you know you don't have to go that tight uh, you know 150 to 220 to 320 so you may want to just sand a little bit higher than you normally would uh, if you don't normally go to 320 we'll take it to 320 by doing that you're actually going to decrease the amount of absorption of that dye and stain and it might help level it out a little bit. But if you really want sort of a surefire way to get this done, I still to this day recommend uh, Charles Neal's Blotch Control. Uh, it's a water-based formulation. You put a coat of that, sometimes two coats on the surface, and it works great with General Finishes water-based dyes, and it sounds like what he's using. It, it's, a, it's a game changer uh, because previously, most people would recommend using like a, a clear shellac as a pre-coat and then hitting it with your dye or stain. The problem is that can work, but it also prevents your dye from absorbing and you don't get the same color that you would have gotten on untreated wood. The Charles Neal conditioner doesn't work that way. The way it works, it actually allows the color to come through, the same exact color you would have gotten on regular raw wood, but somehow miraculously takes care of that blotching situation. So to this day, I still recommend uh, Charles Neal's blotch control and think that's probably your best bet. Um, All right, so next one here is for Shannon. Right. I mean, any of us can chime in if we need to, but it's from AJ concerning a workbench.
1: Hey guys, AJ calling from Connecticut. Um, Great show. Listen to it all the time. I listen to all the archived episodes. You guys are fantastic. I've learned more from you than any other source. Just had a quick question. I'm building a workben soon. I'm picking up the wood this week. Going to let it sit in my shop for a couple of days, get acclimated. Um, it's By far the biggest project I've ever done. Just wanted to, I'm doing it all out of hard maple with a little bit of purple heart accents. Um, just wanted some advice on what you guys think for the lamination. I'm doing a split top, uh, 12 inch chis on each side, and then probably a six to eight inch uh, tool holder in the center. Um, any advice you can give me would be absolutely fantastic. I spent about $1,000 on wood and I'm um, petrified to even think about making the first cut, so I'll take anything I can get. Thank you guys so much. Keep up the good work. Love the show.
0: All right. What do you say, Shannon? Right. Well, I love that he says quick question and then throws out one of those really kind of like... Not, not quick, not a quick answer. <laughs>
4: Right. So, building a, a workbench. <laughs> <parts, laughs> and my first part is...
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a rough question. Well man good on you for using hard maple and purple heart you're in for a real treat and i do mean that sarcastically <laughs> um the uh, lamination that especially because he's doing a split top i mean i don't know what the catalyst was for creating the split top other than you can now feed it through a benchtop planer right i mean i know that you can put little cleats in between you can put like fences and stuff in between that's nice um But ultimately, you can put it through a benchtop planer because it ends up being like 13 inches across. So I don't know if he's got a planer. Um, I'm hoping he does. I'm hoping he's not going to hand plane Purple Heart and Hard Maple. (laughs) Go buy a hand plane. Go Mm -hmm. buy a a benchtop planer if that's the case. Um, But this is the thing. You don't have to stress about it very much. Um, certainly you want to get flat faces that go, the faces that get glued together. You want those relatively flat, but you're also talking about, I don't know how long he's making the bench, but eight feet, six feet long. So if it's not absolutely dead flat, it's also not going to be the end of the world, but you know, take your time to do your normal jointing process in the face and make sure they go together well. But one thing that can really help you run to home Depot, wherever, and pay the, whatever the small amount it is for just a typical like biscuit joiner and you've got alignment that will really help align those boards mm, big time um you know i don't even really know what they cost anymore but i remember when i bought a biscuit joiner it was not it was like i didn't even have to save for it they're not that expensive Um, It's doing nothing as far as the strength and holding it together. It's just purely to make it easy to align everything. Because once you get all that glue slathered on both faces, they're really, really slippery. And you've got this eight-foot-long board that you're trying to clamp together. um, you You clamp one in, and it slips on the other end, and it just ends up being a nightmare. If they slip too much, now suddenly you've got this really, really heavy slab. Yes, you can run it through a benchtop planer, and it makes it a little bit easier, but you're still having to schlep that thing around. Um, and if it's dramatically, if it slips dramatically, you could throw off the whole um, planing process. So you do want to get them pretty close to aligned when they're in the clamps. So buy a biscuit joiner. Don't worry. I don't care what brand it is. If you throw it away when you're done with this, that's fine. Spend that much money on it. It's, it's about a, just 160
3: there. bucks. Are they really mm-hmm. God, for like a DeWalter like Porter bucks. Cable? Yeah, they're not. Right. They're not. They're not that cheap. All right. Well, no. dang. <laughs> but it's not like you're not. You can. I mean, you can mm-hmm. use that on other glue
0: ups too. You know, that's true. So, I mean, panel glue ups in general. But this big of a glue up with this much surface, you want some sort of alignment. I did not do this <laughs> when I did my Rubo, and it was tough. Um, that stuff slides around so much. And I made – I ended up making a series of calls to kind of hold it flat and everything. Mm. If I had just had like a domino or a biscuit jointer or something like that, it would have made things a heck of a lot easier. So um, – and then the other advice is just start cutting, man. It's a bench. If you screw some things up, hey, you can fix it later or
4: don't. It's a bench.
3: <laughs> you got a lot to work with there we, too. You know, a lot of meat on a bench.
4: Yeah. For certain, uh, you know, <laughs> another thing to help with the, the alignment uh, there are of course router bits that will mimic the, uh, the oh, cutter yeah. that you would have on the of biscuit, course. So you could do something like that, which then means that you can get yourself a router if you don't already have one. And that opens yeah. up a whole other options with your router bits and maybe even something as simple as just some dowels. Now, Either way, you're going to spend some time cutting mating, you know, joint pieces on one side or the other, be it a biscuit or or a dowel. But you're right, Shane. I mean, totally anything that gives you that little extra alignment, it has saved my bacon so many times. Even if it's just basic panels or something like that, mm-hmm. it's insane how. Stupid easy, it helps to make things line right
3: up. Uh, another tip for him is with those long pieces, a lot of times even if you get like both sides fairly flat and parallel to one another, it's really difficult to get them all truly dead straight. Right. Yeah. So the board is consistent thickness all the way across, but you got a little bit of curve. So it's inevitable you'll have a few of those. Set those up in your slab so that they're opposing one another, you know, yes, in, in pairs. Yes, excellent point. Uh, and then yes, that so way. when yeah. you
0: clamp it, when yep. you clamp it, you're clamping at the ends and it's pulling tight in the center. Yeah, like a spring joint. Exactly. Very good point.
3: Yeah, and that'll save you time. It'll make you know because otherwise you're looking at these bent boards, going, "Oh, damn!" You know, you put two in the same orientation <laughs> and now you're really screwed because your your whole front of your bench is going to be bowed. Um, so offset them, and, and you might be happy with the results.
0: Right. These big boards will test even like the the Bessie. Bar clamps, you know, that exert like 3,800 pounds (laughs) per square inch. Right. Even those like whimper a little when it comes to trying to close up gaps if you don't have it right.
3: Ochi. All right, so uh, we also had another voicemail from Jeremy from Australia and attempted me to play it because I'm a sucker for a really good accent and and, uh, Jeremy's a good dude. But it was over three minutes long and he was asking for general advice about building a blanket chest and it was almost too visual for the podcast. So um, what I'd recommend, Jeremy, if you could, head over to the forum, head over to Wood Talk Online forum, uh, drop a post in there explaining if you have any pictures or diagrams, use the forum to post those and you'll get much more you know uh, a better help than we could give you with uh, this audio format here i didn't think it would translate well to the show so i, I apologize for skipping it but uh, it's it's kind of necessary well, now it's, I'm it's hard really enough curious. i'll, I'll yeah, send you the file uh, it's hard enough to to get people interested in the audio format that there's a certain point where we have to you got to draw the line a little bit because people will just be lost uh yeah, right. usually
4: people just blame it on me but this time we can actually blame it on jeremy
3: <laughs> there you go it's jeremy's yeah. fault the moral of the story is is people with cool accents get
0: a lot closer to getting them played than just regular Yeah, schmoes. if you've got
3: a good accent and, and it's a little bit too long of an email or a voicemail, I'm, I'm probably going to play it.
4: <laughs> and if you're a hot British girl, you can say anything you want That's and we will at. absolutely listen to it. In fact, we'll end up putting it on our own uh, playlists yeah, on the, our, our own individual devices and listen to it over and over. doesn't
3: even have to be about woodworking. I mean, whatever.
4: That's right. You can recite the phone book and I am all there for you. There you go.
3: All right, well, now's a good time to hear from our sponsor, TableLegs.com. Let's face it, folks, sometimes we could use a little help on our projects. Maybe it's a project part that requires a tool you don't have or maybe you haven't gotten to the point that you're ready to tackle a new skill. Or perhaps it's just a matter of expedience and you need help meeting a deadline. Thankfully, there's a company that caters to your needs, TableLegs.com. They offer a wide variety of project parts and much more than just table legs. How about custom tabletops, columns, architectural components, finials, stair parts, and even 50 plus furniture feet from four inches to 12 inches high. And of course, they have tons of legs in various turn styles. So don't let that one project part keep you from making your next masterpiece. You can get free shipping on your first order over $50 by typing in the code WOODTALK into the special instructions box on the online order form or mention WOODTALK when you call to order. I know many of you don't have lathes, so you might look into their custom turnings in styles ranging from colonial to cabriole, mission style to mid-century modern. When you order online at TableLegs.com, your parts will be carefully grain and color matched, sanded smooth, and carefully boxed for safe rapid delivery to your door. And speaking of delivery, don't forget the free shipping offer on your first order over $50 using the code WOODTALK. All parts feature a 100% money back guarantee. At TableLegs.com, you'll find plenty of free, helpful tips and drawings on the best practices for making furniture with their components. And 95% of what they sell is made in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom by their staff of 30. Check out TableLegs.com and remember to use that code WOODTALK for free shipping on your first order over $50. That's TableLegs.com. All right, so we do have one extra voicemail. I actually forgot to play that previously. It's from Vinny and I I thought it was actually kind of an interesting perspective.
2: Hey gang, got a question for you. I don't know. Maybe it's the better poll question. By the way, this is Vinny in Atlanta. So I, I know with the tired discussion about uh, you know whether or not there's cross contamination with wooden cutting boards versus plastic cutting boards, blah blah blah, porous wood. So here's my question, and this is in the spirit of, uh, uh, of Thanksgiving coming around the corner. If Thanksgiving is the one day where cross-contamination is probably highest, right? You've got raw turkeys, uh, weaponized poultry juices are flying about the kitchen. Have you or anyone you know or anyone you know know anyone who has ever had their Thanksgiving ruined by salmonella? I'm going to stick to my guns and say no. I don't know. Maybe Tom Iavino can ask. Anyway, guys, have a happy holiday. Shannon, I love you. Bye-bye.
3: How nice is that? Right. Just a little shout out for Shannon oh, wow. a little love for Shannon. That's Aww, actually the Shannon. only reason I wanted that's to play it. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was
0: unexpected. Yeah. Wow. Out of I don't know weird little Vinny, <laughs> weird little Vinny.
3: Uh, so that's an interesting point, you know, and this is one of those like anecdotal sort of evidence doesn't necessarily mean that there's no danger posed. Um, I don't know, I haven't really, I've only known one person ever to have gotten salmonella poisoning in the first place and that's my son and that was a couple months ago and it was awful. Uh, and yeah, i don't and it re- was
4: long before thanksgiving so yeah, it listen, wasn't was thanksgiving. it was was it nicole's practice thanksgiving I was gonna gonna say what, she
0: she breaks out the practice thanksgiving pretty early uh, yeah
3: yeah we already did that so uh, we all survived that no problems um but i don't yeah i don't really have a whole lot of experience with people getting sick from foodborne illnesses from from homes so i think what he's saying is like even if things aren't perfect on the cutting board what are the actual chances of someone truly getting sick from a cross contamination situation and i guess maybe the bigger question is do you want to take a chance yeah, uh, cuz you know diarrhea for a week is no fun for anybody right so i don't you know, maybe I, it's I, that, just that,
0: the, maybe it's the volume of mashed potatoes that <laughs> there you go. yeah there is a kind of like, level you know, Eat bread to soak up the alcohol. Yeah. So you, you know, you're gonna yeah. don't, don't get drunk. It's the. Or more potatoes. importantly, maybe
4: that's what it is. Is typically around the holidays is when most people really start imbibing like crazy because it's like, God, I'm with the family. I need another <laughs> case of right. wine. Yeah, oh my another God, drink. Oh my God. So that takes care of anything that normally would give you a, some sort of foodborne illness.
3: Yeah, I don't know. But either way, uh, just keep the crap clean. You'll be fine, most likely, right? So, <laughs>
4: right there, there you go. And yeah. So, basic cleanliness, and you should be fine. Lack of cleanliness, and that's when it starts to become a real issue.
3: Yeah. And don't lick the turkey until it's done. That's only lick oh, it afterwards.
4: Crap. I'm going to put that on my hands so that I remember it this year.
3: That's how I based it. I just stick my lips in the juice and then I kiss the turkey. the New Jersey a disturbing image. No, it's a nice one. I'd love a comic artist to draw that up for me. That'd be great. Uh, All right, let's move into our email. First one here is from Kenji. He says, I'm working on a tabletop and I did a few de-waxed shellac coats and sanded until smooth. I moved on to a gloss poly, general finishes. In between one of the coats, I managed to make a scratch in the finish. I sanded a little bit but didn't want to make things worse by sanding through all the layers of poly. I opted to add a couple more layers of de-waxed shellac and sand the shellac layers until the scratch was filled and smooth before going back to the poly. I still have a dull area where I dry sanded before applying the shellac. Should I go back to shellac and apply more coats and then uh, wet sand and get an even scratch pattern before attempting more layers of poly? All right, so first of all, Kenji, this is one thing that I don't like to see people do. I don't like when people are going back and forth between something like shellac and poly, shellac and poly. The way I look at those finishes, is one is, you know, really durable, right? The polyurethane finish is very durable and part of what makes it durable is its ability to kind of take a punch, you know? Think of it like, the taffy of finishes, right? So it's not really going to be easily damaged because it's got a softness to it. Now, I don't mean soft in the sense of like we really think of like things being soft to the touch, but it's a little bit more pliable. It can bend. It can take a little bit more of a beating. Something that's hard and brittle cracks easily, right? So that sealer coat of shellac is more of like a brittle type of finish. So what I don't like to see is brittle finish between you know as a layer between soft finish because they may not play well together long term you may start to see things separate so in general the whole thing that you've done there i i guess it can be done i just don't like you know for the longevity of the finish i don't like it once you move to that poly layer i would rather see you just continue with the poly layer so you know the way to have fixed that i probably would have just been a little bit more aggressive with the sanding assuming that that scratch was only in the poly layer uh, because ultimately, once you start building and you've got a problem that's below the surface, if you can't fix it with a subsequent you know coat on top of it that just kind of like glosses over it and it's gone, now you've actually got an issue that's below the surface. So it's you know not a really good chance of anything you can do now on top of that surface to get rid of it. It's just kind of like you know there's something behind a piece of glass. And you're putting stuff on top of the glass and hoping to get rid of it. You may not be able to, right? So if you are at that point where you have multiple coats and that scratch or the the resulting sanding that you did created a scuff that's now locked below the surface, you may not have any choice but to go back and uh, you know get down to that layer and start building up again, right? And that kind of sucks, but that might be the you know one of the only reasonable options at this point, especially if you can't get rid of that smudge or that that uh, shady area there um, by adding more finish to the top. So that's that's probably at this wonder, point what I do.
4: I always wonder where, where where do folks and I don't mean to be insultive or anything. Where, where do people come up with these ideas for these things? I mean, I we always have joked around and talked somewhat seriously about the different formulas. Yeah. The people that people seem to come up with when it comes to finishing. That's one that would never, ever cross my mind. I imagine somewhere in the forum, a forum, many forums this is probably discussed, but that is something that would just never – normally I would just be swearing at the finish and then spending hours trying to figure out how to fix it, but I would never think about adding shellac in there somehow. as like some sort of
3: – Maybe it's it's conventional wisdom from paint maybe. Like if you if you screw up a layer of paint on the wall, what are you going to do? You're gonna go get a can of primer and start over. Right, seal
0: it in and start over. Yeah, yeah. So
3: I'm and also shellac sands really nicely. So once it's dry, it's a good sanding sealer in a way. So I could see the the logic that someone might you know, put two and two together and say, well, let me go back to my sealer and then start building up my layers from there. Also, uh, the shellac is one is a type of finish that melts into itself. So when you sand Mm -hmm, it, you know, it's not like poly that's layer upon layer and you don't want to get those witness lines from sanding through one layer into another. So I could see where he's going with it. Um, but like I said, in general, I just, maybe it's just a personal thing. I just don't like to see someone swapping back and forth between what's a softer finish and what is a, a more hard finish. Maybe
4: that's me. Maybe I'm just too simple. I just like stick with the one thing and go, oh crap, I'm you know trying to figure it out Dude, from most
3: there. times with finishing, that is the story. Like, keep it simple, stupid. You know, the, the, yeah. uh, we tend to overcomplicate finishing all the time uh, just because it's in our nature. Most people, like, whenever I get a, a big finishing question, like there's a stain, there's a sealer, there's a sanding sealer, there's like three or four different products involved. 99% right. of the time, you can get the same result and cut the products in half or cut the workload in half. There's always a way to simplify things. And worse than a
4: little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a a well-placed, <laughs> scuff
3: a <laughs> you could just cover it up. just
4: You know, a lot of people don't know this, but usually I always text Mark and Shannon when I'm about to start a uh, finishing project or really when I get to start anything. And every time it's been a finishing thing, Mark always ends the text with kiss. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, how nice. And I realize our relationship went to that point. And I said, well, Mark, I just want to let you know that Shannon Shannon. (laughs) Shannon and I are close too. But Samantha (laughs) and I have a committed relationship and we're very close. And he's always like, no, idiot. It's keep it simple, stupid. I'm like,
3: oh,
4: (laughs) I was starting to worry there for a minute.
3: I don't love you as much as AJ loves Shannon. Let's put it that way. That's
4: very true. (laughs) Necklace. It's like a stab, right? It's like a a scratch-all right to my heart. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Don't be jealous. All right. Well, let's move on to this next email, which came in from Luke. And Luke says, or wrote, I'm starting to make quite a few medium to smaller size boxes. Most of them have walls half-inch thick, and the lids are either quarter-inch or just under. My question is regarding my lids. Since they are on the thinner side, and I'm usually kneading them in batches of, say, 15 to 20 per week, what is the best way to make sure they stay stable after I've re milled, and cut them to size? Now, as a note, Luke said... All the wood, which is usually walnut, maple, and mahogany, are all kiln dried, and I buy them from a local lumber yard about 15 minutes away. The yard is open air, and I work primarily in my garage, which is basically open air also, in Dallas, Texas, so there's no crazy humidity changes from one environment to the other. So for the longest time, I was making Samantha those photo boxes and they were very similar in dimensions. In fact, actually, most of them were just over a quarter of an inch and that would be the sides and then the lids. But occasionally they would go just under because uh, I didn't want to have to go out and buy more wood. So I would just work with what I had. And oftentimes in those scenarios – I would end up cutting the pieces to that thickness and then running them through the thickness planer and then have to go away because suddenly it's bedtime and I got to come back a couple days later or something like that and start working on them. Because of the fact that the wood that I was working with uh, was kiln dried and I oftentimes would just double check the grains to make sure I didn't have anything really tricky that would naturally go wonky on me and I spent a little bit more time selecting the wood so that I didn't have really crazy twists and everything in it before I even started to resaw it, I think that played a huge part in why I didn't have a lot of issues with these thinner boards suddenly going all paper or excuse me, potato chippy on me. So, and on top of it, the fact, Luke, that you're saying that where you're purchasing it from and where you're actually working are very, very similar in humidity and and, and environment. I have a feeling that it's probably not going to be nearly as bad as you. Think it could be, so you're probably not going to run into too much of an issue. And on top of it, you're saying you're doing these things in batches, like fifteen to twenty a week. So it sounds like you're not letting these things like sit around for like a long, long time. My impression from your email is that you're kind of you will resaw, it, you do it all in one week, and then kind of get these things out the door. So I think, in my opinion, what it sounds like is you're you're, you're pretty safe. I don't think you're going to run into too many problems with it. But there is one thing I have done, and I think all three of us have mentioned doing something similar is if you're concerned about that kind of going potato chippy on you, maybe like actually weighing it down, like putting some sort of press, or even just, in my case, I'll put like bricks on top of them to try and hold it so in case there is any Mm. little fluctuation with the pieces starting to dry, it still kind of holds it down to keep it in place. And again, I have not had any significant issues. In fact, I'll even go so far as to say I have some boards down there right now Halfway through the last batch of boxes, which was three, four years ago that Samantha was having me made. She changed her mind and didn't want to go with those anymore. I still have those resawn pieces at a little around a quarter of an inch, sitting downstairs in my shop, and they're as flat as when I took them out of the uh, thickness planer, so that's kind of cool. Cool.: Do you
0: guys remember back when you started woodworking? No mm-hmm. before like cause mm. all of us kind of started woodworking before this whole Internet. Woodworking thing started. Um, do you remember when you just made stuff? And, and there wasn't like, it? there wasn't like, oh my God, what's going to happen here? I mean, I, I love how thorough Luke is being here when he talks about, you know, I bought it for 15 minutes away and the, you know, it's open air and I'm open air and all this. Do you remember when like, you didn't even know that you had to worry about that and you just yes. made stuff? Cause yeah. I'm looking at a little box on the shelf next to my desk right now that has about a quarter of an inch thick lid and the walls are about a quarter of an inch and I made it probably 12 years ago and it's flat as can be. <laughs> It's yeah. like I never knew I had to worry about that stuff. So then I thought, oh, maybe I made it quarter sawn. No, it's perfectly – it's like as flat sawn as this piece of maple could be. And no, it's flat. So mm-hmm. I don't know.
4: Every now and then – Well, just, if it was – just if it, the yard was stuff. 20 minutes away, I think he would probably be running into yeah, an issue. But since it's only 15 <laughs> minutes away, that's he's true. fine. Yeah, there is something about like really overthinking about it. But I, I, I also think there's quite a bit to say about the materials. You know how – I mean – crap in, crap out kind of a thing. So that might have a little bit to do with it. But yeah, I agree. There is a certain point where knowing too much really hurts you. No, Don't get me
0: wrong. It's not a criticism at all of Luke. I was just, I was sitting here thinking about this going, man, there's so much stuff to think about now.
3: And once you're informed, it's hard not to think about it. Once you know that wood moves and you have these issues and certain woods don't move as much as others, you're like, oh, is this going to be a problem? Because you invest time and money in it and now you're aware it could be a problem so you're trying to prevent it. You know, yeah. Nothing wrong with that.
0: Some days I just wish I had one of those men in black flashy thingies.
3: Yeah, forget all about it.
4: <laughs> and then all those emails come in and you're like, what's this hand tool thing? What
3: are you talking about? <laughs> Email? I got an idea for a hand tool school. <laughs> Man, somebody
0: already owns that domain. <laughs> lucky, lucky stiff. All right. So this question comes from Cricket. And um, it's actually kind of funny because I grabbed this question and I thought it was really brand new. And then it occurred to me that I was actually on the wrong tab in our little document here.
3: Ooh, so this actually comes from 2014. 2014. Nice. so Old school. Uh,
0: sorry, Cricket. Um, I apologize. I'm just now getting to this. I hope uh, he still
3: listens to the show.
0: <laughs> yeah, he probably gave up because Outlu- never answered his question. Exactly. So he says, I will, I'll soon be working on a hay dining table. So he finished that about 10 months ago. Um, it has heavy craftsman influence and breadboard ends. The top will be eight quarter quarter sawn white oak. My question is, what is your guy's favorite method for distressing wood? I'd like, I'd like the finished piece to show the beautiful ray flex of quarter sawn oak with a bit of reclaimed distressed look. What are the best methods to tackle this? I'd like to, I'd like the finish to be able to settle in a bit to the crevices, giving a nice contrast of dark and light finish to complement the distressed look. Now, we've mentioned this in the past, and I just finished a table that originally was supposed to be distressed by the customer's request, and I ended up not distressing it. I used a very rustic, Uh, not rustic, uh, a, a number three common, yeah, a rustic grade of lumber. It had lots of knots and things in it, and that was enough distressing. But when I was preparing for this, I did a lot of research into this, and there's all kinds of methods from chains to, you know, keys and dinging up the surface and everything, and every single time, it ends up looking like you did it on purpose, um you know, drop it on the gravel and drive over it with a car or whatever. And it just it never ends up looking distressed. So or accidentally distressed is the, the word we're looking for. <laughs> yeah. So what I recommend doing, this is this is a dining table. So I recommend thinking about where the where points are going to be. On this table, where could somebody accidentally stab it with a fork? And frankly, how often does one stab it with a fork? Unless you have little kids, I suppose. You know, um, those worn points are where people are sitting, and right around where they were sitting. Doing a whole lot to this is just gonna look like somebody tried to make it look bad. The fact that you're using oak to begin with, it's an open poured wood, so you're gonna get that that dark and light contrast anyway, because the finish is gonna soak into those spots. You can get a lot of the distressing done by using choosing your finish. Using dyes and sanding or using glazes and things like that to kind of sit in those crevices and add that look of dirt and things over the years because a lot of times that's what that distressed look is about more than anything is the, the, the dirt and the color and the stuff getting inside of there. And then just be really lazy with the sander. Just pull out that random orbit sander and, like, watch a movie while (laughs) while you're sanding. You know, it it, it puts little divots in. It kind of rounds over edges where people were sitting, where people had their elbows on the table and things like that. And you might be surprised how it's going to look at that point. Um, If you want more, then you can talk about adding more from there. But I wouldn't go into this thinking, I need to beat this thing up a whole bunch. Um, I think you're already on the right track by choosing... Uh, the lumber that you've chosen that's what's going to give you that look and that hay rake table because it's got a lot it comes from the cotswold school it's got a lot of chamfers and kind of shadow lines and and reveals and things on it anyway a good glaze or a good dye is going to really highlight and make those things pop and i think you'll be pretty happy with it from there
3: i think you should get two sanders in his hands and get on top of the table like it's a pommel horse yeah in the Oli- olympics go. and just swing his legs around it'll come out nice
4: yeah it could okay. be like uh cricket random hands, random <laughs> orbit, sander hands, you know yes, yeah,
3: uh, that the, guy, you know the other thing he can do too, finishing wise that I think will be really helpful for this is to look into a glaze. So, after you've got some sort of sealant on the surface, or maybe even before you get a little darker color with it, um, hitting it with a glaze and getting that into all those pores, nooks and crannies. And if you do some distressing to the surface, uh, you know, any like nail holes or bug holes that you try to create or dents, a lot of that uh, glaze will get into those spots too and make it look even darker. Just makes it look like it's been waxed, you know, a few hundred times over the years. And right. that wax got, you know, buried in there. That can be pretty helpful too with that uh, distressed look.
0: Well, it's interesting because my mother-in-law has a, has a kitchen table um, that is an actual antique and it is naturally distressed over the years Mm -hmm. and there are no enormous gouges in it. You know, no one like hacked at it with an (laughs) ax or, you know, ran over it with a car. No one hit it it with a chain?
3: What kind of no. house does she live in?
0: No, it, there's just a lot of kind of worn, kind of soft edges and, and things like yeah, that. You're totally and,
3: right about that. The corners and everywhere, like yep. your elbows would rest. You, right. And exactly. and that translates to a lot of kind of darker
0: colors and what we might call blotch because you're right. It's been waxed over the years and years and years and things have settled in those depressions and stuff. So I think most of the distressing is done with the finish, not with your car keys.
3: Yeah. Right. Well, I think that's the problem well, is a lot of people think of that when they think of a distressed look. They, you know, the, the commercial side of things has turned distressed into like, yeah, beat the crap out of it.
4: <laughs> right. Right. Because, yeah, a lot of people think it's like the very center of the table. It's the body of the table. When, in fact, as you guys have said over and over, it's it's the very edges. It's mm-hmm. where you put your hands. It's where you bump your things. It's wherever you're going to lean up against because, let's face it, after a Thanksgiving dinner, I'm leaning up against anything just to stay awake.
3: The belly's rubbing on the edge. That's what's yeah, happening. that's well.
4: Yeah, there's a giant thing right underneath the bottom of it. That's pretty sad.
3: All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can just head over to woodtalkshow.com and see that side column. There's a couple of donation links if you want to help us out with a recurring or a one time donation. You can also get yourself a woodtalk t shirt. Excuse me, at twwstore.com and uh, let's see, iTunes reviews. How about that? Go to iTunes, look us up, leave a five star review, and we've got three five star reviews to erase that last one that we had the two star that we got <laughs> last time uh, and this one this this will help you feel a little bit better Matt uh, he says this is AJ5382 says shop talk who best woodworking <laughs> podcast bar freaking none I'm mostly a woodturner trying to make the swan dive into furniture making not an easy feat, but this podcast makes it so much easier it seems to me that every time I have an issue that arises uh, and a problem I need help with um, you guys bring it up on the show it's like we have ESPN or something that's ESPN. I get what he's good doing there. Uh, he says that's an original Matt type of joke, by the way. Uh, Mark and Mark with the C, Shannon and Matt are funny and entertaining, and no more than I could ever comprehend. He says quite a bit more here, but I'll just skip to the last one. He says no one can replace original Matt. <laughs> oh, thank
4: you they try they keep trying right now they're they trying do. to do it right now it's yeah. unbelievable they had a whole negotiation about it right. and by the way I, crispy I used mask looking pretty good oh hey well that's only when I've been out in the sun too long um, <laughs> but I used ESPN not too long ago and I got the same reaction dead silence
3: Yep. <laughs> no one thinks it's funny uh, alright Matt help you give him the contact info and we'll get out of here
4: all right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, topic, suggestion? Do you also have ESPN? I bet you're thinking about it right now. The Ocho. There's several ways to contact us. I'm sending the message to you by ESPN. Leave <laughs> us a voicemail on Skype. Or our username is WoodTalkOnline, in case you don't have ESPN. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com. Dot com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And now I feel like ESPN should sponsor us.
3: You think they would? I think they no, would. No. No? I don't okay. Think they would.
4: Maybe, maybe ESPN Ocho would, but for yeah. certain not the main one.
3: Definitely not. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time.
4: See ya. Planning for your next trip?